Hey, you're listening to an Upbeat Rewind featuring Hannah Lynn on January 28th, 2019. You'll hear more of an intro in this one once I roll the episode, but... The gist of it is Hannah Lynn is an extremely successful artist. She's built a business she can run completely from home. And in this episode, we get to hear and learn from her inspiring story of getting to where she is today and also receive a bunch of really helpful advice, especially around building a business from home, overcoming insecurities, and how to not live in fear and take the jumps that we need to take. This by far is one of my favorite episodes to ever air on Upbeats. And I know that that is a really big statement, really bold statement, but it's true. This is one of my favorite episodes to ever air on Upbeat. And I'm extremely excited to share it with you again. You're listening to an Upbeat Rewind featuring Hannah Lynn. This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker K. In this episode, I interview Hannah Lynn. If you've never heard of Hannah Lynn before, Google her right now. Look her up because she is incredible. She is an amazing artist who creates and sells her own coloring books online. And just in the last three years, she has sold over 60,000 of her books, which is so hard to do, but she's doing it and succeeding. She's going to Comic-Cons all the time, even the big San Diego Comic-Con, which is huge. She's got fans all over the world. And she's here with me on the show. <laughs> wow. I Honestly, I'm so honored that she is here and so excited for you to listen to this interview because it is a longer interview that is jam-packed with value and so many inspiring stories. You're going to love it. Let's get into it. We talked at Idaho RiseCon. Didn't get a ton of time to chat. So if you could just tell me and the listeners a little bit more about you and what it is you do. I'm an artist that does mostly like character artwork in the female genre. So I do like mermaids and fairies and kind of like warrior girls and stuff in all different, you know, scenes and kind of genres, you would say like steampunk, Victorian, um, mermaids, fairies, princesses, that Mm -hmm. kind of thing. So... Awesome. So that was pretty clear when I looked you up on social media and when we talked to Idaho RiseCon and when I went to your website, that art is something you're super passionate about. How did you discover that? Do you remember a time when you first knew that that was what you wanted to do? Well, it goes all the way back to my childhood. I mean, I've drawn and painted and done art my entire life. I mean, there was about maybe a 10-year period after I graduated high school that I didn't really do much with it because, Mm -hmm. you know, in school, there's a lot of opportunity for you to be creative in projects and, you know, different things like that. Um, And then when I got out into the quote-unquote real world and was working and doing those kinds of things, I didn't have as many opportunities to really create art. And so I kind of was not really doing it for a while. And then... Then I was a stay-at-home mom. We had moved from California to Idaho Falls Mm -hmm. so that I could stay home with the kids. Um, For financial reasons, it was really expensive to live there and try to stay home with one parent staying home and the other one working. I can imagine. So we kind of rearranged things and we said, okay, let's make this move. That way I can stay home. And so... The kids were climbing the walls. They were little. (laughs) The winters were long. And I was in full-time online business school at the time, actually looking to go into education. Okay. That was was one of my questions. I was going to say, did you study art in college? No. No, I did not. Yeah, I did not. I'm completely self-taught. So I started back up with my art as if I was a child learning how to walk again after 10 years. It was so bad. It was absolutely awful. I mean, most people don't believe me when I try to show them pictures when I first restarted drawing my artwork because they're like, 
um, this doesn't look anything like what you do now. And so I kind of try to, when they say like, oh my gosh, you're so talented. You know, I try to rein them back and go, you know, it, it takes a lot of work, you know? Yeah, yeah. There's a knack for it and there's a passion, but you know, practicing your craft every day is kind of how you get to the level that mm -hmm. I'm at, you know? So I started it as a hobby because yeah. I was going crazy with the kids and school and everything. And I thought, you know, I really used to like to draw. Mm -hmm. And so I went to the store and I got like $4 worth of like cardstock and colored pencils. And I just started kind of drawing and painting and sketching and, you know, researching some things online. And I saw people selling their stuff on eBay. And so I thought, why not give it a shot? I'll throw some stuff up yeah. there, see if I can buy some more materials. Cause we didn't have a whole lot of money for, you know, ho side hobbies and stuff <laughs> at the time, you know, yeah. it was like, we're still paying for diapers and everything else, you know? So yeah, that's kind of how it started. I mean, it, it was totally a hobby. It was not a business endeavor at all at first. Mm -hmm. I have personally seen so many people that are good at art and then somewhere along the lines they do have that 10 year gap or they just come, they just quit completely and they don't pursue that thing that they love that art. Um, do you see that happening? And like, why do you think that is? Why do people stop pursuing art? Um, I think that we have kind of a weird thing in our minds that when we get afraid mm -hmm. of, you know, what we think could happen or may not happen, um, we convince ourselves that we don't want it and that we want to do something different mm -hmm. um, because we don't want to be disappointed. And, you know, there there is a lot of disappointment in being an artist, number one, and being self-employed, number two. Those two things yeah. together, you know, you have to be pretty resilient. There's going to be a lot of <laughs> yeah. failures, you know, a lot of falling on your face and getting back up. But I think the reason why it works so well is because, you know, it, when you're passionate about something, you will do it for free and you'll continue doing it even if it doesn't turn into a business endeavor. And you're like, yeah, whatever. If, you know, if nobody buys it, at least I'm creating it for myself, you know, but um, I know for myself when I was younger, I mean, I grew up in the 80s. I was born in 79. OK, mm -hmm. so I'm going to have my 40th birthday this year at the end of this year. So there was no Internet. Like that didn't exist when I was in, you know, like elementary school into junior high and then into high school. It was like we had computers, but they were like the green screen computers <laughs> yeah. and the Internet wasn't, you know, that's not how we did things. So to be an artist for a living meant that you were going to be going to art school and be discovered by a gallery or you're going to work for an animation studio or something of that sort. So to me, it just wasn't even on the radar as far as like me doing it for a living. Yeah. You know, I, I just didn't think that. But then fast forward 10 years, the Internet opens up all these opportunities, you know, and I'm thinking I could probably do something with this, you know, so yeah. I that's I just decided that. I was going to do it for a hobby as a while. And even for the first couple of years, I was still like, I don't know. I don't, you know, and all my friends were like, are you kidding? This stuff is amazing. You're going to, you don't, don't forget the little people. This is so great. I know you're going to be famous one day, you know? And I was like, I, I don't know. I think I might still do something else, you know, cause I was talking myself out of it because yeah. I, you know, I didn't want to, you know, think that I could do something amazing with it and then be just completely destroyed, you know, with disappointment you know, but I've learned to overcome that. Uh -huh. I get that all the time. The, the 
don't forget me when you're famous thing. I'm just like, I am still in college right now eating ramen just like you are. Like, right, yeah. I do not feel famous at all. It's just, I've always loved beatboxing and pursuing that. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point. When I talk to people at, you know, Comic-Con or whatever, and they come up to my table, and I think the reason they connect with me is just because I'm so real. I'm like, look, I'm just mm-hmm. a girl who works out of her basement. I mean, now I have a really nice studio on the main level with lots of windows. I got to see I, it. I did work for many years in a windowless room room downstairs in my basement (laughs) (laughs) when you did make that decision to make it a business were you out of college already I had like a semester left it was like the longest semester of my life (laughs) because I was like I don't want to do this paper I just want to draw and put stuff up on eBay you know so I had to kind of push through to finish that you know because I set out to do it and I wanted to finish it even though originally it was part of a plan to transfer to you know university and continue on I wanted to finish it for me, even though I knew I probably wasn't going to need it, you know? So, I mean, I, I put my specialty as business because I've always been entrepreneurial. I mean, when I was a child, I had my first commission from my science teacher in seventh grade and he (laughs) paid me 60 bucks to do this drawing of a, of an Eagle for his son for his birthday. Oh wow! And then I was always making little bookmarks and going around and trying to sell them to the old ladies that lived in our apartment (laughs) complex and stuff for like 50 cents each, you know, because I wanted them to have things that they could use. And it wasn't just like art. It was like art, like on a, like, I know you read, you know, you know, you need a bookmark, you know? So that's how I've always been is just very entrepreneurial. So to me, I thought if I just specialize in business, it doesn't cost me any extra. You can always use business because Mm -hmm. even heading into education, I had my eyes more on administration, maybe curriculum development or, you know, something of that nature. So I was kind of thinking teaching would be a stepping stone into that kind of realm. So. Okay. Yeah. So I was asking just because I think right now, a lot of the listeners are college students, people my age, people in my circle, at least in these, in these beginning stages of the podcast, they're for the most part, high school and college kids. And I think for a lot of them, they think that they're so unprepared for what's going to happen after college. And they worry that like they don't have their life already figured out and that they don't have any time left and that they're losers. You know what I mean? (laughs) And I think that's not the case at all, you know? No. Yeah. Nobody really has it figured out. Honestly, you have to, you have to act and do before you have it figured out. Like jumping in is kind of part of the figuring it out process, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah, I mean, I was probably at the, well, I kind of did things a little backwards, you know, cause I got, I was married at uh, 19 and then we waited five years before we had kids Okay, because we wanted to buy a house and all these other things and stuff mm-hmm. first. And so we did that and then we had kids. And then so I went back to school, you know, when I was 24 or 25 or whatever. So I was probably 26, I guess, when I started doing my artwork and then started putting it online. And then like at first, like I said, it was just for me to raise some money to buy some extra materials so I could, you know, buy some paints or whatever. And I used uh, watercolor pencils and ink was my choice because it was the only medium that I could use that Mm -hmm. I could like drop it in five seconds to go yeah. clean up poop off the floor because I had little <laughs> kids like running around like crazy. And, you know, yeah. when you get up to do something like that to take care of little kids, it's like it, two hours can go by before you get back to what you're doing. And you're like, mm-hmm. what was I even doing? I don't even know. Yeah. So it was really the only thing that I could use that I could drop at a moment's notice and come back and I wouldn't have messed up my, you know, art that I was working on. And I still use the same materials mm-hmm. to this day. I just perfected what I was, you know, using and I still love it. So that's awesome. And then why steam steampunk? Like why, 
Why the certain things that you draw? You know, people ask me all the time, like, where do you get all these ideas? You know, and I'm like, when I was a kid, if you look back at my early artworks that Mm -hmm. are on like lined notebook paper, I like have some of this stuff shoved away in like a butterball turkey box up in my (laughs) master bedroom. And pretty soon I'm going to pull it all down so I can take these, you know, awesome pictures of these these drawings that I did when I was a kid. But, you know, um, I used to I love Disney, you know, um, anything that was really animated. I mean, you'll see pictures of, you know, Little Mermaid and female eyes and all those kinds of things. And then I used to watch um, The Secret City with Commander Mark on PBS when I was a kid. And he used to do all these drawings and stuff. He was he was on before Bob Ross, except for he wore this like really cool like tracksuit thing. Mm-hmm. And he draw like he drew like spacey characters and things like yeah. that. So I've always been into character art. I mean, when I picked art back up again, I didn't really know where it was going to go. I just knew that that's what I like to do. So I just started drawing faces and eyes and things. And that's just kind of where it led, you know, so. Awesome. Yeah. And I think it's that way for anyone with different passions, they kind of pick their niche, you know, and and that's what works. Have you noticed because your niche and your drawings and in your art that it's helped you as a business and how, like, how do you think things would be different if you didn't draw these things? Well, I think that typically history shows that, you know, uh, men have been most kind of dominated in the art industry mm-hmm. professionally anyway and yeah. as far as the female character is concerned it's from a male standpoint just a completely different area so for me when i draw a female it's going to be different than the way a male is going to draw a female you okay. know yeah. and so i think that that there's a huge connection there because 85% of my fans are female. Mm -hmm. And I think it's because they connect with the way that I draw a female in that this is how I want to be depicted. And this is how, you know, this is the the world that I want to live in and Mm -hmm. the way that I see myself, you know, which is like a strong, you know, warrior type woman, or, you Mm -hmm. know, maybe even um, like a mermaid or something. I mean, when I was a kid, I I wanted to be the little mermaid. I mean, me and my sister, we would like wrap blankets around our, you know, legs. (laughs) when we were little and stuff and she cried for a week after we watched the movie Splash because she wanted to be a mermaid and she realized that she couldn't be an actual mermaid so you you can draw it exactly with art you can be and do and create the world that you want to be in and you know I think it really goes back to that kind of childhood you know, dreaming, you know, and mm-hmm. I think that that's why it was so fun when I picked it back up and as, a, as an adult, because it's like, I can go right back there, you know, yeah. like, it's so much fun. And I think that that's why people connect to my coloring book so much is because it's a collaboration, you know, I draw it, they color it, and they get to kind of be in that world. Yeah, that's awesome. That's a really cool way to think of it. Um, but anyway, shifting gears a little bit, what hurdles have you overcome in the last so many years pursuing this. I mean, there's got to be, there's got to be some. <laughs> How much time do we have? <laughs> All the time. Yeah, exactly. The, uh, the hurdles are insurmountable. I mean, you know, I've always tried to tell people no matter what they're doing in life, mm-hmm. like you have to love it. You, whatever you pick that you're going to go after, you better love it because yeah. it doesn't matter what you do. You're going to run into challenges. You're going to run into issues, problems. You're, 
if your face isn't in the carpet in just alligator tears at some point, <laughs> you're not doing it right. You know, like yeah. it is so unbelievably difficult because you're putting your heart out there on the line to mm-hmm. be disappointed and you're going to be at some point disappointed. You know, I mean, like I said, when I first started, I didn't have any money. I mean, there wasn't anything that I didn't have any startup capital or anything. It was like, I just decided like, hey, I want to, I think I could make more money than what I'm making, you know, because I was yeah. making a certain amount of money, um, but it was mostly just purse money. You know, at first it was like, oh, it's just a little bit for me to buy this and that and the other. And then, you know, I was putting originals up on eBay and they started bidding up higher and higher. And then I would get people that would contact me and say, hey, you know, I need, you know, the originals are getting on my budget, but I still want a print of this. I want to put it in my collection. And I had no idea how to scan an image, how to manage image. I didn't know what 300 DPI was. I didn't know what image quality was. I mean, I was essentially for the first year taking pictures and just posting it on eBay and just shipping away the original without having a copy or anything. I mean, I was just doing what I knew. And that's how, you know, that's how I started. And that's how every single up level step was for me. Anytime I tried to do anything new, it was always, you know, uh, challenge after challenge after challenge. So yeah. it was like, okay, there's the first one with prints. You know, it's like, okay, now I have to get a scanner. I have to figure this out, you know, and thankfully we're in the age of information and I can just hop on, you know, blogs and YouTube and read mm-hmm. and kind of teach myself how to do these things. I had to um, get Photoshop and learn how to do that. And I still like 15 years later, still learn new things on Photoshop like every day. I should probably like still take a class <laughs> on Photoshop. I mean, really, yeah. you know, so I got the scanner and I got the printer. And the crazy thing about the artwork that I do is that the ink, the black ink, when I, when I trace the lines and stuff, it like reflects back when I scan it and I didn't Mm -hmm. know how to fix it. So I would print the prints and then I would have to take an ink pen and like draw over every single one of the black lines again (laughs) before I shipped out this like $3 print, you know? So there, there's a hurdle, there's an issue, there's a problem. It took me a while to figure out how I could do that digitally in Photoshop before I printed it so Mm -hmm. that I could now, you know, save all this extra time. But I, I, I did things the hard way. (laughs) I did things the hard way. I still do things the hard way sometimes until I can figure out how to do it a more efficient way. You just keep moving forward no matter what. It's like, I don't Mm -hmm. care if it takes me, you know, 14 days to figure one stupid little thing out on (laughs) Photoshop. I'm going to do it, you know? Yeah. So you have kind of that situation. And then, you know, once I had decided like, okay, I'm going to turn this into a business, um, you know, I started looking at places like Comic-Con, you know, like San Diego Mm Comic-Con and, um, it takes like five to eight years probably to get into that show. And so I started applying like way before I was ready. I mean, I wasn't anywhere near ready. I had no money. I had no anything. I mean, I was really just a girl working in her basement who sold like a couple pieces of art like every week or whatever. Mm -hmm. And so I started applying knowing that I was going to have to wait for five years. And I figured, you know, hey, by the time you know, they say, yes, maybe I'll have it together enough to actually go. (laughs) Well, no, (laughs) I got the letter like three years in and I was not prepared or ready at all. And I had no money and we had actually just sold one of our vehicles um, to pay off some student loans that I had. And we bought this van off the side of the road that was rear wheel drive, two wheel drive, okay, with a huge dent scraped down the side <laughs> of the door for a thousand dollars. Okay, this, this was the position I was in when I checked my mailbox and said, Yay, your company's been selected to exhibit, you know, their artwork at San Diego Comic Con. And they gave me like nine months or something, you know, to like 
that's what you know how much time you have to get together and i was i was going i was determined to go i'm like i will will figure out a way (laughs) i will find a way to make this happen i don't care if i drive up in there in this you know this thousand dollar van with more inventory in the back than the whole vehicle Mm -hmm. is worth i'm going and i will figure out a way yeah so it took me a while to kind of figure out how i was going to do that um considering that it was like nine hundred dollars for the table alone and then i had to come up with you know hotel and all these other things um, I had ha- actually had a, a decent small contract going for some stamps at that time. Yeah. And it was kind of difficult because she was supposed to be paying me like a certain amount per month. It was kind of a small guaranteed thing. Like I would provide her with so many stamps per stamp images per month that she could use. And then she would pay me, mm-hmm. you know, a certain number. Um, well, she stopped paying me <laughs> right at the perfect time, of course, where I'm thinking yeah. I need to get this money together. And so I'm like you know on the floor bawling like I don't know, this isn't gonna happen how is this gonna happen i have no idea how this is gonna happen and then of course the lady stops paying me and i oh. yeah. you know it's even worse and you know fast forward probably six months and and now we're like 90 days out and i, I still don't have the money and i'm still going how am i gonna make this happen you know and so I started getting, you know, funny thing happens when you kind of put yourself into a back yourself into a corner, you get really, really creative, you know? So I started thinking, yeah, I started thinking, well, maybe, you know, if I, I wanted to do these little trading cards, which is where I kind of started is these Mm -hmm. trading cards. Well, I used to print them out and chop them all up myself. And so I thought, well, I can't go to Comic-Con with like all these chopped up cards that I did myself. I'm not going to have enough, first of all, you know, and second of all, it's just not going to work. So... I looked at professionally printing them and that was going to be really expensive because they have all these minimum orders, you know, that you have yeah. to, you know, order a thousand of each card or something. So I started thinking, you know, maybe I can pre-sell like a bunch of like card sets, you know, to the fans that I currently have in order to basically crowdfund the money to get it printed so that I can take the rest of them with me to Comic-Con. And that worked. Awesome. Sort of. I mean, I ran a, <laughs> I, I ran a Kickstarter raise like $700 and it didn't fund. And so then I just turned and ran it on my own website and mm-hmm. raised like a couple thousand dollars to get them all printed and wow. everything. So, and then once we got really close and I like the, the final bill came where they were like, okay, we'll take our $900. Now you said you were coming. Um, lo and behold, out of, you know, the miracle of God, the, the stamp lady showed back up and oh, gosh, paid me awesome. all the money back that she she had owed me for that year that she was supposed to be paying me month by month. Mm-hmm. And I say by the miracle of God, because had she been paying me month to month, every month, I probably would have blown that money and I wouldn't have had it Yeah, in that, you know, amount to, to pay it and get it all together. And so, and then my husband sold his motorcycle to get us a newer vehicle so Mm -hmm. that I didn't have to drive my two wheel drive Previa down to (laughs) San Diego. And that's how we pulled it off. And I showed up there, you know, feeling like a complete fraud the first year I was there. I mean, I didn't belong there. There's Marvel and Hasbro and all these like famous artists and Stan Lee. And I, I mean, I'm just a girl out of her basement who barely like scraped by to even be <laughs> in the presence of these people standing behind a table. And somehow I pulled it off. It's like you're in my head because you're going right into some of these things that I, that I have listed to ask you some of these questions I have. Awesome. Um, but one thing I have in this last week or two, I've been doing surveys on Instagram and just 
getting a feel for my followers and like some of the questions that they'd have and what they want to get from my podcast show. And one question is, if you could go back and give advice to your five-year-old self, what would, what would you say? to just go for it. I mean, you have all the time mm-hmm. in the world when you're young, you know, when you start yeah. getting older, that clock starts ticking, you know, it's like, I should never have talked to myself out of what I knew I was supposed to do in this life. Yeah. I mean, everybody around me, teachers and everybody around me was telling me, you know, this, you can really do something with this, you know? Yeah. And I was like, well, you know, <laughs> and I just, I just was, I guess I just wasn't seeing the big picture. And, you know, to be honest, I think it was more that I had a real passion to help people. I Mm -hmm. really wanted to make a difference. And I think part of me not wanting to be an artist for a living was uh, kind of a guilt thing. Like I felt guilty choosing something that I loved so much. Like you were were putting yourself first. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. And you know, it's crazy because you know, I really, when I was a kid, what I wanted to be was a philanthropist until I realized that you needed money to do that, <laughs> of which I had none. Okay. We, I was, yeah. I grew up very poor. We were on food stamps. We didn't have any money at all. And so, you know, that was obviously not going to be like a, you know, right away kind of thing, right? When I exit the house at 18, yeah. you know, so I kind of decided that I was going to have to, you know, be a grown up and, and do real grown up things and get a real grown up job and all those different things. And, you know, so I did, I worked in things like management and insurance and customer service and things. But when I went back to school, my decision was that I was going to, I wanted to change the public school system is what I wanted to do. I wanted people to, you know, I wanted children to be taught more relative and relevant things to Mm -hmm. our, you know, writing a check, for example, or, you know, simple things like that. And I was really passionate about helping people. I really wanted to help people. Um, And it's crazy what happens, you know, when you pursue your passions and you follow your dreams is that other people are affected by that in a really big way. Yeah. You know, like I've had, I can't tell you the amount of messages and emails and things that I've gotten from people saying like, you've changed my life. Like you've helped me with my depression or you've helped me with my divorce or you've helped me connect with my daughter. You know, we color together with your stuff or, you know, you've inspired me in the way that I see that you're, you know, making a a life for yourself and a business for for yourself and something that you love. And I even had a lady email me one time and told me that she was going into brain surgery and she was bringing my artwork in the room with her before they put her under because she needed to have a positive mindset before she went under the the knife. And so she chose to bring my artwork into the room with her and, you know, stuff. When I started receiving those types of emails is Mm -hmm. when the switch in my mind started to happen from hobby to you know, passionate business pursuit. That's really what changed my mind because the reason why I was still on the fence about it was, is this really going to matter? Like, is this going to matter to other people and not just to me? Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I I love it for myself, but is it too selfish, you know, like, or should I like pursue something more, you know, serious and more giving? And I just wasn't recognizing what was right in front of my face, which was that what I have to give and offer is more than enough and that you can do something that you love and effectively you know, help other people at the same time. And it feels really, really good. And that's definitely something that's motivated me to keep going. Um, Similar to the hospital one. I, so 
this was 2015 before my McDonald's video went big. And I was in Rexburg at one of my favorite restaurants, the Mandarin, just eating, hanging out with my friends. And this mom came up to me like while we were eating and she was just like, Hey, I know you're eating, but when you're done, come talk to me and my daughter. And I was like, okay, like, I don't know who you are, but okay. (laughs) I, I wanted to be like, what's this about? But she just walked right back to her chair. And then as I was checking out, uh, her and her daughter walked back up to me at the, at the register. And the woman was like, my daughter loves your videos, loves your beatboxing, loves what you and your sister do as far like music covers and stuff. And she's nine years old and she's in and out of the primary children's hospital uh, because she has cancer. And when she goes in for those big appointments, like something that really helps calm her down is watching you and your sister do your covers. And that was the first time that I've ever heard like something like that. (laughs) And and I was like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to start bawling. (laughs) Yeah. Kind of brings you to your knees. I know. I'm going to start crying like in this restaurant in front of these two girls. And uh, it meant so much to me. Um, She pulled out a napkin and a pen and was like, can you please sign this for my daughter? And, on the way out, we're going to go to the dollar store and get a frame for it kind of a thing. And, and that just blew my mind. And this was before my video went viral when I had like a hundred subscribers and when I felt really, really discouraged, like, Oh, no one is seeing. Yeah. It's never going <laughs> to happen. Yeah. Yeah. So when that happened, it really motivated me. And then like a few months later, that video goes huge. And then I drop out of nursing school and start doing communications and advertising and like everything in my life shifted all like in the same month or so, which is crazy. I love getting messages like that though. That was in person, but I get a lot of messages like that and it really boosts me to keep going. Yeah. That's kind of what I like, why I like uh, San Diego Comic-Con, Salt Lake Comic-Con, you know, events Uh like that in person because you can actually communicate with people you know it's different when you're communicating online or you know maybe they buy one of my books on amazon or whatever and they have a reaction to it but i don't get to see it you know Mm -hmm. and it's hilarious because the first year that i was at san diego comic-con i immediately had this group of like little 12 13 year old groupies that were drawing pictures (laughs) and bringing them back to me and everything and it was so funny because when people come and they geek out you know Uh i mean that's that's really the term is geek out when they like geek out all over me when i'm at comic-con or something (laughs) they have no idea that like i'm i have the same reaction you do i'm like oh my gosh, this is so cool. Yeah. People are geeking out over me, you know, and you're like, uh-huh. Mm. Yeah. You're trying to keep like, it cool. You know, you're like, no, it's fine. I'm, I'm totally used to being famous. Just a girl in her basement. You know, it's like <laughs> really not like super special, but they think you are just the coolest thing ever. Yeah. And then, like you said, you want to live up to that and, and affect as many people as you possibly can. When I did that survey on Instagram, I got a bunch of like really personal messages and it kind of blows my mind what people send me, but. Oh yeah. They overshare like all the time. (laughs) (laughs) They overshare all the time and then they apologize for oversharing, but they're still going to (laughs) overshare. Yeah. Well, and I honestly don't mind it. Uh, It's helping me get a feel for like what they want to get from this podcast, you know? So I figured we could go over some of those things real quick. Yeah. They get kind of deep. So. Okay. Let's let's buckle up. All right. (laughs) Um, So I've had a lot of people reach out to me about struggling with insecurities and living in fear and not being brave enough to make that jump to do what they love to do or just worrying like what after college life is going to be like for them. How can you get around that self-doubt 
how can you like happily move forward if you're feeling stuck and depressed and all that? Well, I think uh, action is what breeds confidence and results. First of all, Mm -hmm. um, you have to kind of step out and do something like I'm not I don't really like public speaking. I'm legitimately terrified and like sweating (laughs) right now. Like, like seriously, like every, like I've done a podcast interview before, like it wasn't even that long ago. It was like a month ago or something. And then before that I did one with like one of my friends who think, God never published it because it was terrible and I rambled on like a complete idiot. And I think it was really just a blessing from God. It was like this huge practice moment. I was like, oh, yeah. so glad. But I was willing for it to be published because it was like, you know what? You have to do the hard stuff. Yeah. You've got to get out there and you have to do it. You can feel afraid all you want, but you cannot allow it to dictate your actions. That is my motto in life. Like if I'm invited and you're asking me to speak or do whatever, even if I say something wrong or, you know, I make a mistake. Um, I'm just going to learn from it and it'll be better next time. You know, that's just the way it kind of goes. So everybody has fear. Everybody has self-doubt. Everybody has, you know, is dealing with all those different things to some extent. And the people who, the only difference between the people who succeed and the people who don't is that the people who ultimately succeed, take the steps and the actions towards what they want on a continuous basis. That is really the roadmap. And they, yeah, they just, they keep making the mistakes and then they keep getting better. And experience is really the only way that you're going to get where you're going. For me, when I feel like I'm having setbacks or when I'm having self doubt, that becomes like my new normal. And that's really, really bad. And you have to, it's like I've had to learn the hard way over and over and over again uh, that. I need to take action and that I need to constantly be doing things that I love and trying to get better and learn from those situations. But something that helps me too is listening to music, listening to podcasts, doing anything I can to like uplift my mood or motivate myself. If I just want to uplift my mood and have a laugh, I watch Brooklyn Nine-Nine or something real quick, like a 25 minute episode or something and then move back on with my life. But so that's some good advice too. Just do stuff that makes you happy. Yeah, that's a great point. I I do those things too. You know, if Uh I'm feeling like I need a little bit of motivation, I can, you know, turn to YouTube or podcast or whatever and just listen to people who are talking about what we're talking about, which is we were nothing and we were nobody and we were just (laughs) doing stuff, you know, that we love to do. And then we decided to become courageous enough to do it in front of other people and then, you know, kind of continue from there. So, yeah, I would agree with you listening to music and kind of getting back on track and stuff and doing things that, you know, relax you and make you feel better and, you know, then kind of get back on track. Oh, comparing yourself to others. Mm. I think that is probably at least what I see at college with everyone I know. That's like the number one contributor to Mm self-doubt is comparing yourself. And when you were talking, I was just like thinking, okay, but compare yourself to yourself, not to others. Like just reflect back on all the things you've done and all that you've accomplished and be proud of yourself. And that'll, that could help too. Well, and I think the other thing too, that I've learned, cause you know, I'm kind of an old lady now, like at this point in my <laughs> life, I think I have a lot more like external experience just in life in general. And I've learned that the competitive spirit needs to stay in like sports. Like it's really in the business arena. It's really doesn't have a place. People who have a competitive spirit tend to fail a lot more often than people who have a more inclusive, there's room for everybody type 
type of thing. So like when people come to me and ask me like, hey, you know, what do you, you know, who do you use your printing or this or the other? I'm not like, I'm not going to tell you, Yeah. you know, you're my competition. That's not ever, there's room <laughs> for every single, everybody's different. You know, who you might particularly be able to reach on, you know, a connection level is going to be totally different than maybe who I'm going to be able to reach. And so there's room for every single person to be wildly successful at, uh, on their own terms, on their own time, at their own pace, yeah. you know. And the other thing that I learned that's dangerous about comparing yourself to others is that sometimes it can hold you back. Like yeah. sometimes you can look at other people and be like, well, I'm not as bad as that or I'm doing better than they are, you know, so maybe I'll just take a week off, like get back to work. Yeah. You know, like n- n- that's not, don't make somebody else's good enough. <laughs> you're good enough. It, yeah. It's really dangerous when you get into that space because a lot of people don't think about that part of it. It's a little more sneakier than the, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not as good as these people and it's bringing me down, you know, there's <laughs> yeah. that kind of sneakiness. It's like, well, I guess I did enough. You know, it's like, no, you need to, you have to keep going. You've got to keep going. Like yeah. you w- have a success and a win and you just want to like celebrate and have, you know, like a, a day on the beach and stuff. It's like, well, have your day, but yeah. then get back to work. Celebrate, but don't stop. <laughs> yeah. Celebrate, but don't stop. Exactly. That's a good, that's a really good point. And then like doing what you love for a living. That's awesome. And I, I as part of the survey on Instagram, I was like, the question was, would you rather have like hardly any work that you hate or have more work that you love. And 100% of the responders were saying that they'd want to do what they love, even if it was more work. Oh yeah. I don't even feel like I work most of the time. I mean, really there Uh are certain aspects of my job, but most of the time, even when I'm sitting down at my computer and I'm interacting with fans and I'm answering emails and customer service and, you know, I'm on social media and stuff, you know, kind of bouncing ideas around or, you know, sending people links to downloads they couldn't figure out or, you know, whatever, like three hours can pass. And I'm like, it feels like it's been 10 minutes. Yeah. Like how did the, you know, and that's how, you know, you're like in the flow zone, Mm -hmm. you know, is when you can sit down and do something and feel like no time has passed, but it's been hours. You're like, why is it dark outside? Is there a storm coming? No, (laughs) it's actually nighttime. At this point, you've spent 10 hours doing something and all the time has passed. I mean, when I get engrossed in painting or drawing or something, I mean, people have asked me, they're like, well, how long does it take you? I'm like, um, I don't understand these calculations because it's, I I go into like a total time warp zone, you Mm -hmm. know, when I enter into that area and it's like, it's just, it doesn't feel like work because it's not, I love it. You know, every aspect yeah. of it. Dang, I have a quote that goes so good with this, but I can't find it right now. Something about the flow zone. Is that, is flow that zone. The, <laughs> I don't know. I can't remember who it's by and I can't find the note, but it was a quote that basically said, like, if you love something, then like, I'm totally botching okay, wait, it right so now. So wait, is it the one that says like, um, do what you love and you'll never work another day in your life or something? Is that kind of, yeah, I think it might be. And then like, if, if you're not doing what you love, you'll only find excuses. Right. That, yeah. Whatever you'll, always, that yeah you'll always find a way if you're trying to make something happen, but if you don't really want it, you'll find every excuse yeah. not to make it happen. That's so. what I think in dating now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, if you're not responding to me, then you don't want me enough. Yeah. No, man, that was, I love that quote. And then same person said something about just going all in with what you love. Oh yeah. You've got to go all in. And with, it's weird too how things change because I went all in with beatboxing and music and all this stuff and speaking, but 
for for three years I've been like burning inside to do a podcast and I haven't been doing it because primarily I've been in school and I've been doing all my music stuff and I just feel like I didn't have time for it. Excuses, excuses. Right. But (laughs) it finally came to a point where I couldn't do excuses anymore. I had to do it and I had to go all in. And I have so many people booked for interviews and a lot of them don't live around here. So I was like, oh shoot, I'm going to have to learn how to like record phone calls and oh, stuff. Oh, you will. And you will learn I, it. Well, I jumped on YouTube and it was like 10 hours later yeah. and I was dropping like $800 on equipment and yeah. stuff. Yeah, crash course it, get it done. <laughs> I mean, I think that, I think you touched on a really important point there. You make the commitment and say yes first. Yeah. And then you scramble to figure out how to make it happen because that's yeah. where the creativity and the all in kind of comes from. Um, my, this kind of reminds me of my husband leaving his job. Mm-hmm. Um, you can imagine with two children and a life that we was built. That fairly we've, recent? Uh, yes, we've been married okay. for 20 20 years and he's been working in the auto body industry for you know like 25 years or something like that I mean since he was 15 years old yeah and so you know with medical insurance and you know everything being so expensive you know it's like the safety of a regular normal job is kind of where it's at you know like most people don't just like quit their jobs and yeah. like without having a safety net well we'd talked about it for years I mean, first we started talking about it when it wasn't even a close to a reality. I mean, I wasn't making very much money at all. It was just making, like I said, purse money and, you know, like pitching in for bills or whatever. And so we started talking about it then like, oh, wouldn't it be nice? And we can do this and blah, blah, blah. Well, when it started kind of inching towards the reality of like, maybe we could potentially do that. It was like, we have to make all these different shifts. You know, it's Mm -hmm. like, we should probably think about buying like our forever home and getting everything kind of situated, you know, even if we're not like super ready so that we can make that jump when we feel like we need to. Well, we probably were could have made the jump anytime mm-hmm. in the last three years. Wow. And we kept going, okay, well, yeah, March should be good. And we'd sit down with the pad of paper and we'd write it all out and go, okay, this looks good, blah, blah, blah. And then something inevitably would come up and we would, no, no, it's not the right time, blah, yeah. blah, you know? And so I came to a point where it was like, okay, we just have to make the call. (laughs) We have to do this. We have to set a date. And then we are just going to do what we've always done in life, which is figure it out. You have to figure it out day by we're figuring it out anyways. I mean, Mm -hmm. who's really, you know, not living paycheck to paycheck anymore when they have normal jobs and stuff. It was like, you know, if we're still going to have questions about, you know, where we're going to get vacation money for next year or, you know, how we're going to pay for this or that or whatever let's just do it on our own, you know, instead of, you know, because for me in our situation in particular, it, I was having to stop everything I was doing production wise Mm -hmm. to go pick up the kids, take them to gym, do this, do that, go to the grocery store. I mean, I'm handling everything as, as always. That's Mm -hmm. how we, we built our life. You know, he worked and I'm taking care of pretty much everything else, you know, at home with the kids and everything, which is what I wanted. I wanted to be a stay at home mom and take care of my kids. I figured if somebody's going to mess them up, it's definitely going to be me. (laughs) I'm rocking this, you know? Yeah. And so it was really hard to make that decision, but it was so obvious at the time. It was like, this is silly. Why are we doing this? Because I should be the one that is really producing more, you know, because if I can work two or three, two or three extra hours a day, mm-hmm. 
you know, I could probably replace his income, you know? So it was like him going to work every day was pretty much costing us money at that point, you know? And it was like, we have to make this call. So, but in the normal natural reality, it feels like somebody's hitting you in the side of the head with a two by four and going, (laughs) what are you doing? This is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. Who quits their job and just like jumps off a cliff like that, you know? But we're, we're kind of those kind of people. Yeah. We moved from California to Idaho. We had no (laughs) job and we sold our house at the top of the market. We had a little bit of money in the bank, but I hadn't even seen the house that we bought on a stated income loan. Like we put everything we own into a U-Haul and drove 750 miles with a newborn and infant, two cats, two dogs, and drove to Idaho Falls with with no job like lined yeah. up like just drove up and like welcome home like i just had a baby That's and so i mean we just like <laughs> it was crazy yeah. but to me it wasn't because i had every every fiber of my being knew that that is what i was supposed to do yeah. and when you know like when you're like totally positive that something has to happen but you're just terrified like mm-hmm. almost the more terrified you are is like ooh this is going to be awesome yeah. because it's like that kind of that line, Yeah, you know, like I've come to learn that like if there's fear involved, I know there's something super awesome on the other side of it because the more fear that's involved, I think the bigger what what is going on on the other side you know what i'm saying like does that make sense to you have you experienced (laughs) that where like you've really kind of just like walked right into the fire where everybody else is like stop what are you doing you know and you're like no no i'm doing this and then you break through to the other side and you're like okay yeah this is this is why like this is why (laughs) i was supposed to do this you know yep i'm hoping that that's the case with this podcast because i had fear and self-doubt building up for a really long time and then finally made the decision to do it. And just the announcement of, hey, I'm going to do this. I started getting all those personal messages and I booked like 50 interviews <laughs> and like right. tons of stuff happened. And I was like, man, now I'm going to be creating stuff every single week that wouldn't even exist if I wasn't doing this. You right. know? And not only that, but it's with the intention of helping people. I want people to come here and listen and learn some stuff and hear some inspiring stories and motivate themselves to change their lives, which I don't know. I just feel like nothing bad can even come from that. So I don't know why I was so scared. That's what I said. I'm like, even if you had five <laughs> listeners, like who, you know, if those five people's lives are changed, then awesome, you know, like, yeah. but I think more times than not, I'm mostly like surprised and yeah. like totally blown away by the response, by the reaction, by, you know, like when I put my coloring books up on Amazon, you know, for the first time, I was like, well, I don't know, blah, blah, blah. you know, I'll just toe in the water and stuff. And then it was like, oh my gosh, this is crazy. Like people mm-hmm. are actually buying my stuff like for real, you know? And yeah. like I said, three years ago was really when I put my stuff on Amazon because originally I, I did like these little packet like coloring pages because I was Mm -hmm. selling prints and originals and stuff. And that was my original focus. It was like just full color artwork. And then they would take, you know, companies would take my artwork and put it on their products or whatever. But there was a a small niche of people. This is before like the big, like adult color, like, you know, adult coloring is a thing, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah, Okay. Well, it wasn't, it wasn't a thing forever. And, um, I, 
had some people that were like, oh, you should do coloring pages. And so I would. And they would come up to my table at Comic-Con and they would mm-hmm. like lie. You know, they'd be like, oh, my best for my daughter. You know, yeah. and you're like, yeah, you know, you're going to be coloring that yourself, but <laughs> it's OK. <laughs> and then they'd be like, yeah, you're right. I, I don't want her to touch it at all. You know. Yeah. And so I did these little packet volumes and I had like a little sweatshop going on in my basement with my kids and they were stuffing them all and everything. Mm-hmm. And then um, it got to be too much. I like the coloring craze hit like after I'd already been selling for like a couple of years these like packet volumes of single pages that people could color. And so I kind of took all those previous older volumes and put them into kind of one and then put it on Amazon through their self-publishing service. And that's when things really started to get more serious income wise to where I could go, okay, this is something a little bit more consistent that I can stand on and build from. Dang. That's awesome. And that's so inspiring to probably so many people listening. It is to me for sure. Because uh, I want to be like self-employed, you yeah. know? And no, like- I sure hope so. Because I mean, it. I mean, the truth is, is that everybody can get started on their own, but nobody can really get to the finish line without other people you yeah. know, helping them out. And that's why it's important to connect with other people, you know, either in your community. You know, I, I, I donate coloring books to the library for the summer reading program, you know, here in Idaho Falls. They, you know, motivate kids to read throughout the summer. They get little dollars for however many read, you know, books they read and they yeah. get to win coloring books at the end of it or whatever. And um, but but yeah, just connecting with other people um, and then hiring people that are smarter than you once you can afford it. I think th- <laughs> I think that's really the issue is the money. That's pretty much always the issue is like yep. I can't afford to pay anybody right now. So I have to figure out how to do it myself. Well, once you get to that certain point where, you know, you're just doing everything and things are starting to work at the the absolute millisecond you believe that you can pay somebody (laughs) else to help you do it but just make sure that you're paying up and that you're connecting in the right way because I did hire an assistant at one point and that turned out to be a mistake only because I felt like I was trying to keep someone else busy I was trying to train somebody and, and this person was you know like trying to help me but it turned out to not really be like a net gain for my time so partnering with a company like Amazon for Mm -hmm. example is a perfect type of thing that that I'm, you know, talking about, which is to hire up, you know, connect with people and companies that can offer you something. And it was free. I mean, self-publishing on Amazon is totally free. You know, it's just like Kickstarter or, you know, anything else. It's like it doesn't even really it doesn't even cost you anything, but you've you know much money and advertising and everything that Amazon has. I mean, you know, that's no doubt the reason why my books were successful is because I partnered with the right people. Yeah. Dang. That is really cool. Cool to hear about. I'm like trying to think of where I could go next. <laughs> <laughs> it was self-publishing. So, Parker Kane's going to write a book. <laughs> actually, well, I have to be careful what I say on here. <laughs> no, you don't. Just go for it. I have two book ideas and I can't share what they are yet. But at the TED event that I was just at, mm-hmm. uh, uh, Michael Brent Collins, the uh, author, the, yeah. speaker, the horror author. Yeah. He uh, was talking with me afterwards about helping me do everything to get those two books published. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> so. See, it's about those connections because people know certain things and it's nice to get, you know, 
information from people who have done it. You know, they've yeah. done the experience, they've gone through, they've made the mistakes. And, you know, I have to say, I if I had if I could go back in time, I probably wish I would have read a little bit more like yeah. books from people who were successful and things like that. Because, you know, if somebody like I, I plan on writing a book this yeah. year, oh, you know, awesome. if, if somebody puts all of their <laughs> trials and errors and, you know, and wisdom really uh, for, you know, a decade or two into a book, like that's some fast money right there. I mean, that's some good information. Somebody Mm -hmm. spent years gathering that information and you can learn it in a matter of, you know, a weekend by reading, you know, their information. So I'm, I'm a huge fan of lifetime learning, you know, it's Mm -hmm. like you never can know too much, you know, it's like just always be trying to develop your yourself, you know, and, and learn all the time from other people that are doing things that you want to do or you want to be like, you know? Yeah, definitely. Well, I think we've, wrapped it. I mean, we've wrapped in everything that we we've could. covered a whole lot. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but I've got some fun questions to ask, uh, just to kind of end things out real quick. Uh, what is your favorite word or do you have a favorite word? My favorite word, Francisco. No, I'm just kidding. That's, <laughs> that's fun to say. No, I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite. I mean, other than like inspiration or something like that. Favorite TV show. Um, the Goldbergs. The Goldbergs. Love Someone that show. Literally, just messaged me to the, messaged me about that like five minutes before you got here. They're like, "Have you seen the Goldbergs?" Oh my gosh, I, you haven't seen I've it. I've never okay. even heard of it. Listen, it's the most genius show on television. But to be fair, it's about the '80s, and I grew up in the uh-huh. '80s, so <laughs> I love, absolutely adore all of the little tiny things. Like you could see stuff in the background. You're like, "Oh man, I totally remember that that toy or whatever," you know. But yeah. but even outside of that, even if you didn't live through the '80s, it is absolutely it's comedy genius and i'm kind of a tough nut to crack when it comes to comedy like most yeah. of the comedies i'm like wah, wah. like they're just not <laughs> like i'm like am i supposed to be laughing you know but the goldbergs is absolute gold it's genius gold. <laughs> love it awesome uh what's your favorite thing to do with your family um i really like to go hiking in the mountains or go uh four-wheeling yeah do you ever draw like scenery stuff like not sell it, but do you ever just draw it because you like to or? No, but I like, I like to take pictures. Okay, I'm like, pictures. yeah, I like to take pictures and kind of do the filters and edit them. And I post them mm-hmm. on, you know, Facebook or Instagram or whatever. People are like, Ooh, I really like your photography. You know, <laughs> that's the next question but, is what's your favorite social platform? Well, I use Facebook mostly, but I think that's because I'm older. <laughs> I mean, I'm, pr- I, I'm on Facebook a lot too. It's just, this is, I mean, I thought we were wrapping up here, but this just <laughs> led me right back into another thing. But I think there's a huge difference in being a producer versus consumer. And so like I use Facebook all the time, unlike all of my friends, because I'm posting to Facebook, Yeah. but I'm never on Facebook scrolling. So people are right. like, did you see this on Facebook? And I was like, no. no. Yeah, you're right. I, I probably wouldn't be on Facebook nearly as much if I didn't have a business, Yeah, you know, that I wasn't trying to connect with people. Mm-hmm. Well, awesome. Those are, those are all the questions I had. Do you, where can people find you on like social media and your website and stuff like that? Okay. So website is hannahlynn.com, H-A-N-N-A-H-L-Y-N-N.com. And then like all my handles are hannahlynnart. So awesome. Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, it's all yeah. at hannahlynnart. So you could honestly probably just Google Hannah Lynn. Yeah, you <laughs> can Hannah Google Lynn me. Art. Yeah, or on Amazon. You know, you can find all my books on Amazon and then I sell like printable PDF copies on my website. 
This is Upbeat with beatboxer, musician, speaker, and show host, Parker Kerr. Subscribe at parkerk.co.